0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coastline Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message will equip, encourage, and edify you in your journey of life. We'd love to connect with you. Please email us at info at coastlinecc.org. And for more information about our church and our services, visit coastlinecc.org. Now let's open our hearts and open God's Word. I've been pastoring now almost uh, starting four years, and I was a youth pastor before that for seven. And as a preacher, as a communicator of the gospel, as someone who reads the word, studies it, and then passes it along to to other people, oftentimes in preaching you use illustrations to, to illustrate a point, just like you would, I guess, as a teacher. I have noticed in my preaching, I feel like I am always using illustrations about my children, Okay, right? Is that true? You've heard all the stories of the kids, whether it's a funny one or an emotional one or whatever. I'm always going back to stories. My kids just do crazy things. And sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I had more illustrations than just that. And to start off my message today, I do have a story. And guess what? It's about one of my children. So get ready. A couple of years ago, we were at Target, me and um, Charlie, I think the whole family was there, but I was pushing Charlie in the cart. and. Um, this is probably he's probably five, maybe four I can't remember how old he was. He was old enough to do something that it was gonna uh, getting ready to embarrass me, okay? If you're a parent, you understand. And if you're not a parent, you were a kid once that embarrassed your parents, I'll tell you that much, that's the truth. It's just part of being a child. Part of, their, part of God's plan for a child is to grow and mature and also embarrass their parents whenever possible in front of a large crowd of people. So I'm at Target, and uh, we're walking down the aisle, I think Charlie was sitting in, in the thing, maybe he was sitting in the actual big park, but Brady usually sit up there. And um, we came down an aisle, and with, with be, trying to be as, as use discretion right now in what I say, there was there was a very large person in the aisle, which is fine. This person uh, dropped something and bent over to pick it up. Now, me, I don't care. I'm just like whatever. Charlie, though, who's a child whose mind is you know, Charlie looks over at this person within earshot as this person bends over, and Charlie just says, "Yikes!" Not good, not good at all. Listen, I've never seen a Target shopping cart move so fast as it did that that day. I'm like, we've gotta get out of here. This person's a lot bigger than I am. Man, they're gonna knock me out. Yikes, listen, I find myself constantly thinking something along these lines. I hope my kids don't do anything embarrassing today, okay? Parents, you understand what I'm saying. Now church, Although we're all very different, young and old, rich, poor, we're all, none of us are the same, in certain ways, everybody is the same. We may look different, our bank accounts may look different, our houses, our personalities, all that, but as people, as humans, there's a lot of similarities that we do share. We live our lives based on hope. Like I said, I I hope my kids don't do something today. We live our lives based on hope. All of us, church, all of us are hoping for something, hoping in something. We're hardwired. We are created. God created us as people that just live in hope. And today's message... And it's why I'm wearing this shirt today. Donald's matching me. This is my Star Wars Roosevelt shirt. It's got the little Millennium Falcon on it. The first uh, Star Wars. Who knows what the, the first, well, I guess it was episode four. What was the name of it? New Hope. New hope. Thank you. Nerds, unite, right? now. no, just kidding. <laughs> A new hope. A new hope. So we're talking about next level hope today. Next level hope. Each of us, church, each of us find our identity, find our purpose find our meaning find our inner sense of well-being in something it's just how we are Uh, some would say i i hope i don't lose my job i hope that my kids will turn out okay. I hope that my marriage gets better. I hope I can pay our bills this month. I hope I can find a home. I hope I get better. As a pastor, sometimes I think, I hope that our church continues to grow and gets bigger. I hope, what did you hope for this week? What or who did you place your hope in? Because we're all hardwired for hope. It's important to recognize this truth, church. You have to realize and and see that truth, that fact, That you live hoping in something because your life is shaped by what you hope in. Your life is shaped by what you place your hope in. If your hope is in your job and you lose it, guess what, you're hopeless. If your hope is in your spouse and they fail you, and that was what you had your hope in, then you're you're, you're really, you feel hopeless. If your hope is in moving to a new place, or a new, I gotta get out of this town, moving to a new location, and you get there and it's not everything you thought it was going to be, you are hopeless. If you hope in your kids that they don't disappoint you, that they turn out exactly how you want them to, and for some reason, because they're human and they're making their own decisions, they do something against what you wanted them to do, and your hope is in them, then guess what? You are hopeless. Listen to this, church. What you place your hope in, you also give the power to destroy you. Think about that, what you place your hope in, you also give the power to destroy you. So when we hope, we place our hope in things on this earth, things down here, we are setting ourselves up for failure, for defeat, for discouragement. Because nothing on this created earth is perfect And we can't place our hope in it. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians in the New Testament... The, the church at Colossae that was started. Paul had never been there, but uh, someone that he had reached in the gospel had started this church in Colossae. So Paul is writing a letter to the, to the Colossian people here, and what had happened is some false teachers had got in and, and tried to do some uh, paganism and things like that, and, and, and Paul was reminding them in his letter, the book of Colossians here, he's reminding them of a very important truth, and he says in Colossians 3, he says, set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth, Place your hope, place your love and affection not on things down here because it's going to fail you, but on things above. L- look up and realize that he will never fail you. Hope is not a location. Hope is not a feeling or an insight. Hope is not a possession, something that I can hold on to or an experience. Hope is a person, church, and his name is Jesus Christ. Hope is a person and his name is is Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5. We're going to read some scriptures here. Romans chapter 5. This is Paul's letter to the Roman people. Rome had taken over uh, Jerusalem at this, in, the, in the New Testament, and they were uh, really treating uh, the Jewish people, the Israelites, God's chosen people, uh, very negatively, treating them like slaves, overtaxing them, trying to make it look like everything was okay, but they were really just using and abusing the Jewish people. And there were some certain Romans... Uh, that were Gentiles, is what the Bible calls them. There was the Jews, and then there was Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew, that's not Jewish. Uh, But the gospel was for everybody. That was what was new about the gospel. When Jesus came, he said, I'm not just dying for this one group of people, this one nationality. No, my salvation, my death and burial and resurrection is for the whole world, for every nation, every tribe. So the Gentiles would be the Roman people. There were some Romans that had believed that Jesus was the son of God who was God and they got saved. So Paul's writing a letter to the, the Roman church here, to the Romans here. In and, and verse number one of Romans chapter five, you may not be able to read it if you have your phone or your Bible, you can go to Romans five, but I'll read it. It says, therefore, Paul says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying we have a connection to God the Father now because Jesus, his son died for us. And our righteousness, His righteousness is placed upon us. Verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Paul says, hey, we, we, we rejoice when things get hard in life. Well, that doesn't make much sense to the natural mind, does it? Paul says, no, no, because of Jesus, because of what he did for us, because he died for us and gave us a way back to the Father, oh, uh, that defeated our sin and, 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 and all that, we have way to God the Father now. When we face trials, we can rejoice. Why? Because trials uh, work patience. They create patience in us, endurance in us. Verse 4, and patience, uh, experience, and experience... Hope, verse 4, and verse 5, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. He said, hope maketh not ashamed. That hope won't let you down. It won't make you ashamed. Verse 6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. He said, man, uh, even even for a good guy, uh, some people wouldn't, you know, give their life for them, sacrifice their life. In verse 7, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to. He's like, man, and for someone that's really great, still people wouldn't sacrifice their life for him. But verse 8, this is our hope. Even though many wouldn't die for a righteous man, and, and, and for a great man, uh, no one would sacrifice their life, it seems. Very rarely would that happen, that someone would just give their life for someone really good. But Jesus but Jesus verse eight but God commendeth he showed he proved his love toward us that and while we were yet sinners, while we were yet in sin, while we were yet rejecting Christ, while we were against God Jesus Christ died for us verse seven said man for a righteous man really no one's really going to die for that person but Jesus died for you when you were still a sinner when you still when you didn't even want him God loved me so much. Why can we live lives of next level hope? Why can we live lives of next level hope? Because God loved me so much. Because God loved you so much that he made a way for us to have access to him through his son Jesus, and because of the death of Jesus on the cross in my place, he died for my sins. He died for your sins. Because of that death, I can have a relationship with God the Father. That's why it says it's a hope that maketh not ashamed. It's a hope that isn't going to let me down. Jesus Christ, my living hope that we just sang about. As it says in verse 3, trials come into the life of a Christ follower, And trials probably have come into your life at some point. Maybe even right now you're facing trials and tribulations and challenges and struggles and heartaches. Trials come into the life of a Christ follower. Those trials build endurance to face challenges. My goodness, we've talked many times about uh, over the last 2022 for my family was a really tough year. With housing, with some family things. Just a very challenging year. And my wife and I were talking just yesterday. Sitting out in the back porch in the home that God gave us that it felt like we weren't ever gonna see. And we sat there and we said, you know, these trials that we faced this past year have been awful. They've been awful. I still struggle sometimes to look at pictures or videos from before all those trials because I look back, and I'm like, man, it seemed so easy then. You ever been there? Look back at old pictures or videos and you hear laughing and you're like, I I wanna go back to that spot before any of this crap ever happened in my life. But, But we were talking and we said, you know, These trials have been challenging. They've been so hard. It's been so dark. It's been so lonely at times. But we can look back and say, wow, look what God has done in us. Because, because if we can face all that, if God has delivered us from all that and, and brought us through and held our hand through all that, uh, uh, the next time we face a trial, we can look back and say, yeah, but we may, God brought us through that, so he's going to bring us through this. Trials bring endurance, and endurance brings experience, which is a proven life of Christian character. I'm going to trust God in the trial. And through that experience of leaning on Christ in troublesome times, in challenging times, we find our secure hope. So those trials, which seem like a really, really bad thing, really, if we allow them to, they will build patience, endurance. That endurance will help us face challenges. It will give us experience where not only we're ready for the next trial through Jesus Christ, but we can help others that are facing trial because we have that experience. And because of all that path, we land in a secure place of hope. And it's not because I'm strong or I'm wise or I have anything to offer. No, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of him every single time. He is our living hope. So when I do lose my job, I don't have to be hopeless because I have Jesus. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but I can trust Jesus. He will get me through. Uh, If if my, uh, my marriage seems to be crumbling, I don't have to be hopeless. I can rest in Christ either to restore or rebuild or whatever or leave me somewhere else. I don't have to be hopeless because my hope is in Jesus Christ who never fails. If my kids decide to go against all they've ever been taught, against all that they've ever known and I've taught them and they turn their backs on me one day, God forbid, but I don't have to be hopeless because my hope is anchored in Jesus Christ, who never fails. If the bank account runs dry, or if it's empty or low, I don't have to be hopeless, because I have Jesus. I'm not placing my hope in those things. Jesus is my hope. And by the way, just because my hope is in Jesus doesn't mean that all those things I just mentioned, your kids, your marriage, your bank account, your job, whatever, doesn't mean those things are automatically going to get better because I'm not hoping in them. I still may be jobless. My marriage may still be on the rocks. My bank account may still be empty. But Jesus is enough. I can still have joy. He is my hope. Even with all that going on in my life, I can still wake up in the morning and know that I am a child of God. I can have joy in the sorrow. There is light in the darkness. There is a song in the silence because of Jesus. He is my living hope. It doesn't matter what's going on, church. If your hope is set on God, and on what Christ has done and is doing in your life, you will be okay. You will be okay. Can you hear that? You will be okay. When you hope in something else besides Jesus, what are you asking of that thing? That person, that experience, that job, that promotion that you're reaching for, that achievement, that full bank account. You're asking that whatever it is, fill in the blank, You're asking that thing to give you peace of heart. If my marriage is fixed and perfect, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have peace of heart. If my bank account could just get past this, if it could just be at this amount, then I'll have peace. You're asking it to give you meaning or purpose. If my kids turn out right, then I'll know that I did a good job and I'll know that I did what I was supposed to do and I'll feel good about myself. You're asking it to give you a reason to go on. You're asking it to give you rest at night and joy in the morning. You're asking it to free you from anxiety. If these things just were working out, if, my, if I just could get that promotion and get that raise, then you're asking it to help you get through difficulty. That's a lot to ask of anything, by the way. I can't place all my hope in my wife, and my wife's amazing. I love my wife. But guess what? She'll fail me. And I'll fail her. We spent time in our marriage early on without even realizing it. We were very, so dependent upon each other. We were anchored to each other so much. Uh, We were each other's foundation. And guess what? I screwed up. I messed up. I struggled with addictions and things like that before we ever moved here. And when that came out, it broke her heart. Everything she thought she could stand on was suddenly crumbled. Crumbled. Without realizing it, I had become her savior. And guess what? The hero of the story was suddenly the villain. But it was through that trial that she began to realize, I need to rest in Jesus Christ. And God rebuilt it, and and God has blessed us and helped us and allowed us to realize that we can't can't put each other in that place of hope because that spot belongs to Jesus because he'll never fail us. So here's the reality, church. If your hope disappoints you, you got the wrong hope. If your hope disappoints you, you've got the wrong hope. Nothing can do all that for you. Give you peace of heart, meaning and purpose, a reason to go on, freedom from anxiety. Nothing can do all that for you except Jesus. Peace of heart is only found in Jesus. Meaning and purpose is truly found in Christ. When all else falls apart, Jesus is still there to help you continue. Jesus said, come unto me all ye that are weak and heavy laden and burdened down and I will give you rest. Jesus Said that, and he's saying that to you today. Jesus frees us from anxiety, he carries us through difficulty. He is our hope. So, church, we have to stop wasting our energy and on hoping in things that can't even compete with Jesus Christ. So, when I decide to complain to my co workers about my job, am I utilizing next level hope? No, no. When I can't sleep at night because of stress or financial challenges or I've, I've, I've spent nights awake uh, stressed about our church and, oh, we just got to do this and I really want us to do this and we need this. Am I practicing and resting in next level hope in Jesus Christ? No, I'm not. I'm not. Subconsciously, unknowingly, we are placing our hope in something that won't ever fully satisfy. Because our hearts crave satisfaction. And when we place our hope in something else, that's never gonna satisfy us. After all of our unsatisfying hopes disappear, when everything else falls apart, which often it seems like it does, we're left with our only true heart's desire, and that's life. We just, we want life, abundant life, authentic, heart-changing, heart-satisfying life. That's how every person in the world is created for. We long for that abundant life. And that can only be found in Jesus. Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He is our only hope. People may love and respect me, but they can't give me life. Job promotions may make me feel good, make me feel secure, but that can't give me life. Situations can make life easier, but they can't give me life. He is our only hope. Christ is our life. In church, we have to stop running. We have to stop searching. We have to stop settling for lesser things. You're never going to find life, real, authentic, abundant life, anywhere else. When you stop hoping in everything else and start resting in the hope that is only found in him, people will see it. People will see it. When you, as a Christ follower, as a child of God, decide to place your hope in none other than Jesus Christ and him crucified, and you'd rest in the gospel, and that is your only, only hope, people will notice. Because you'll face a trial and yet still have joy, and people will notice. And you'll go through something difficult and challenging, yet still have peace in your heart, and still be an encouragement to other people, and people will notice, and life will be changed, and God will be glorified. We sing a, we sing a song. Uh, I sang a song growing up, and we've sung it here before as well. It's an old hymn, and it says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And the chorus says, On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Everything else is sinking sand. Everything else we try to stand on and make our foundation will fall. But Jesus never fails. So church, practice next level hope. Practice next level hope by making him your only hope. I'm going to finish with this this morning, church. One of the Old Testament prophets is Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote two books. He wrote the book of Jeremiah, and he wrote, uh, the next book, Lamentations, and he was known as the weeping prophet. He was around uh, about 600 years before Jesus was born. You know, the B.C., 600 B.C., that means before Christ. He was born, or he, he lived and did his prophet ministry 600 years before Jesus was born in that manger in Bethlehem. And Jeremiah's two books, the, the book of Jeremiah, which is a big, long book, and, uh, and the book of Lamentations, which is a much smaller book, about five chapters, they're, they focus on one event. They focus on the destruction of Jerusalem, God's city, God's people. The book of Jeremiah predicts the destruction of Jerusalem. The whole book is about their sin, the the Israelites and God's people, how they had turned against God, gone to idols. And it talks about, uh, the book of Jeremiah predicts it, and Lamentations, the book after that, the smaller one, looks back on the destruction of Jerusalem. The Lamentations is known as the book of tears, Lamentations is a dirge. It's a funeral song of sorts written for the fallen city of Jerusalem. Now you have to remember that God's people had been promised many things. They'd been promised life and success and, and blessing and their city had been destroyed. Lamentations was written shortly after God's people were taken captive in Babylon. The Babylonians came into Jerusalem and destroyed the city killed so many people and took the rest of them captive as slaves. God's people, the Israelites, who were promised prosperity through God. This is 586 years before Jesus came, when when Jeremiah wrote this book. Jerusalem had been destroyed. People had been killed, taken captive. Lamentations 2 Just just to paint you a picture of what's going on here. Literally says, Jeremiah says, I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plight of my people. This is Jeremiah's heart right now. And he says, little children and tiny babies are fainting and dying in the streets. That's where we're at with Jerusalem, with God's people. Absolutely no hope. Chapter 4, Jeremiah talks about God's anger towards the people for for, for completely rejecting him after all he had done for them and blessed them and promised them, and they still just turned away. We see God's anger against his people and their rebellion, and we see what the people's sin had caused in their own lives, and it's some pretty scary stuff. Go ahead and read Lamentations, and you'll see, wow, man, it got really, really bad. But in chapter 5, in the last chapter, Jeremiah pleads to God, Lord, please restore us. I have the scriptures right here. He says in verse uh, Lamentations 5, The joy of our heart is ceased. This is, this is Jeremiah talking. The joy of our heart is ceased. Our dance is turned into mourning. The crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. For this our heart is faint. For these things our eyes are dim. In verse 19, he says, "Thou, end of, the, end of the book. Thou, O Lord, remainest forever. Thy throne from generation to generation. Wherefore dost thou forget us forever? And forsake us? For so long time turn thou us unto thee. O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. He, he pleads for restoration. He says, just, just bring us back to where we were. And in this hopeless book of mourning, church, as we finish up, in this hopeless book of Lamentations, with all this destruction and death and sorrow, right smack dab in the middle of it, we see something so incredible in chapter 3. Chapter 3, Jeremiah begins, and I'll read you a few of the verses of what he says. He says, I'm a man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me he is he turned. He, come, he turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath built against me. compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places. Man, this is no bueno here. This is not, not good at all. Not good in the slightest. He goes on to say, he, he hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. And on and on he goes about the destruction, about the pain, about the hurt that they are facing. And then we see something right smack dab in the middle of this chapter, right in the middle of the book, after he's talking about all the destruction and pain that they're facing, he gets to verse 17 and he says this, thou hast removed, and I have the scriptures on the screen, thou hast removed my souls far off. From peace. And some of you are there today. Some of you, your soul is far off from peace. It's, it's not even next to you, it's not even near you. It says, I forgot prosperity. Verse 18 I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. This is Jeremiah. Hopeless, right? Sounds very hopeless. My strength, my hope is perished from the Lord. Verse 19, remembering my affliction and my misery. He says, I cannot forget this awful experience in my life. I can't forget it. Verse 20, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humble to me. He says, I just can't, I can't get those images out. I can't forget all that I have faced. Your your, your city is in ruins. Your people have been killed. They're taken captive and I can't get it out. My hope is perished. But then he says this, in verse number 21. He says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, have I hope. After all that he said, all those things he said, man, it's been awful, it's been terrible, I, I can't forget it, because, but, then, but then I remember one thing then I I recall one thing in my mind and I do have hope and what is that one thing that he remembers he says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not they are new every morning great is thy faithfulness he says I can remember even, even after all we have faced guess what some of us are still here His mercies still are new every morning. His compassions have never failed me, and I can hope in that. And he says in verse number 24, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. And Jeremiah says, in the midst of the worst circumstances, he says, you know what? I can hope in Jesus Christ. He's enough. He's enough for me. His faithfulness is great. His mercies are new every morning. Church, you have to know that hope isn't unreachable in your life. Hope isn't unreachable. It's right in front of you. You gotta look to Jesus. Thank you again for listening to the Coastline Baptist Church Podcast. We hope the message was an encouragement to your heart. Please connect with us through our website, coastlinecc.org, or on Facebook or Instagram. Send us a message, send us an email, and we'd love to connect with you. We'd also love if you could visit us for a Sunday morning service. You can find our address on our website and our services start at 10 a.m. Our mission at Coastline is simply this, to know Jesus deeply and to show Jesus daily. I hope that we've helped you do that in your life today. Thanks again and we'll see you next week.